invite you to open your copy of God's Word with me to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27, continuing with what God has been doing all this week with Vacation Bible School, not wanting to stop what He is about, but continuing to be open to what He desires to accomplish. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 27. I want to read for you verses 9 to 20. Acts chapter 27. This is Luke writing the account of his ministry journeys with the Apostle Paul. And at this point, they're heading west to Rome, Italy. This is what the Word of God says, Acts 27, beginning in verse 9. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the Passover, the fast, was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot, to the owner of the ship, than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Verse 13, now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor, sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught, could not face the wind, we gave way to it. We're driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Quada. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boats. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear. Thus, they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. At this point, I'm certain you've gathered that that which has taken place on campus this last week has been pretty incredible, to say the least. Two years ago, two years removed, it's been two years since we've been able to have Vacation Bible School on campus. Whoop, whoop to that. Come on. Praise the Lord. Absolutely. We had kids running down the aisles. Some of you thought it was a fire drill. You didn't know what to think. We're just excited about all God is doing here. And I tell you what, it wasn't how we would have dreamed it up. In no way would we have said two years ago, you know what, let's take a year off. Let's wait 24 months until we have another vacation Bible school. But man, God's grace is always so amazing, so sufficient. Under the incredible leadership of our children's ministry with Meredith Minor, I tell you this, the wait was well worth it. Amen. So everything geared this last week, you see the elaborate decor, you see the energetic singing and the motions. Um, we even had some humorous, some probably more humiliating um, skits and different incentives. We had so many things going on, all geared with this purpose of reminding and inviting children 
to trust God. That's exactly what we did. And by the power of the Spirit, seven that we know of for sure have done just that and trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, anchoring their lives to Him, the one who we truly know can provide a security of life like nothing else in all existence. So now we find ourselves here today, Acts 27. We find ourselves here today, VBS Family Sunday. Whether you knew it or not, we're having water slides and food trucks. I'm changing after this. We're going to have a blast. But in this capacity, just for a few brief moments before we transition over there, because Jesus truly is the one in whom all of life can be held secure, we're going to continue talking about what God's been up to this last week. In just a few brief moments, I want to offer a reminder and an invitation to you, just as God offered these hundreds of children these last um, few days. I'm going to extend a reminder, an invitation to you, whatever your walk of life is, is that you might be reminded to trust God, that you might be invited to trust God. Perhaps some of you here today, maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, and that is awesome. But perhaps today, by God's word, he wants to remind you that the lordship of Jesus means that all aspects of your life deserve to be trusting him with. Would you be open to the reminder that every fiber of your being should be trusting him? And not perhaps, I'm certain of this in a crowd this size. There are some of you here, you, you would say, yeah, you've heard these stories about God. Maybe you even have a healthy appreciation. Maybe you would say, yeah, I believe there is a God. I believe a God exists. But you find yourself here this morning and you have never made a personal decision of faith to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The good, good Father, the good, good King we just sang about, He has divinely orchestrated your life that you might hear the Word of God and before we're dismissed from this place, make a public, sincere profession of faith on Jesus Christ truly as the anchor of your eternity. So I offer a reminder I offer an invitation to trust God today. Acts 27, it's really one of the most famous shipwrecks in all of history. I mean, it's right up there with the Titanic, okay? Here we have these nautical experts, these seasoned, salty sailors, and they are headed west. Their final destination is set out for Rome, Italy. And if you were to check uh, their vessel's manifest, you would see some notable characters as passengers. Most notable to us as followers of Jesus and, and basing all of our lives on the word of God, the Apostle Paul was one of the many passengers. At this time in Paul's life, he'd been incarcerated numerous times. He'd been punished, he'd been beaten, he'd been left for dead, all because he preached the gospel of Jesus throughout Israel. But at this point, because he's a Roman citizen, he no longer left it up to the Jews and their customs and regulations, but he appealed to the higher court system. Thus, as a Roman citizen, he has found his way headed west to Rome, Italy, that he might meet his final fate. 
He's there in the custody of this centurion named Julius. By God's grace, Paul's found some really neat favor with this Roman guard, Julius, along the way. In fact, different ports along the way headed west, he allows Paul to go inland and allow other believers to care for him. Not only that, but here in Acts 27, Paul's granted two companions for the journey. I don't know if that was a blessing for these two men or a punishment, but two being one, um, Aristarchus, a man from Thessalonica, very generous in his faith, a fellow believer to be there supporting Paul as he's being obedient as a follower of Jesus. And the other, perhaps more notable to us, is the believer Luke. A man in New Testament times credited with at least writing at least two books in the New Testament, the gospel according to Luke, as well as this book we find here. And as we look at the story play out, the, the vessels and the, the sailors and the, the, the captains, they, they don't make a straight shot west to Rome, Italy. But as a result of different weather conditions and the, the fierce opposing winds, they're having to navigate a really um, precarious route up and, up and in and out along the coastland. Of, they're coming in and out of the island of Cyprus there. And it says eventually they come inland to the place of Crete. So as they come and they find a different ship they've got to get on, they've got to transfer everybody to what's officially known as this Egyptian grain ship. So there's this vessel in the first century there, the ancient times, it's about 15 yards wide, okay, maybe about as wide as our stage, and it extends about 50 feet in length. And reading through the chapter 27, we see there's nearly 300 people on this vessel. It's just a, a huge ship, and it's headed West. So you imagine, just look around us today. We've got more than that number with us today, but basically 15 yards, 50 yards. We've got an ancient Egyptian grain ship right here. And they are headed west. But what we see in this story, these salty seasoned sailors, they're experts on the sea, but for whatever reason, rather than basing their journey off of truth, rather than basing their journey off of realities that are reliable and experiences they know to be certain, they give in to their heart's deceit. They end up making choices for the direction of their journey based on feelings and emotions and opinions. And we quickly see how that turns out. It's intriguing, this story, because not much has changed, has it? What we see play out with these sailors in the ship headed west is exactly what the world we live in today recommends as a suggested path for life. Whatever feels good to you, go for it. God bless you. Unless God offends you, then just bless you, child. If it feels good, go for it. Follow the direction of your heart. Whatever opinion you might have, whatever feeling or sentiment you might have, go for it. Just three months after my three-year-old birthday, I don't remember this, but I looked it up on Wikipedia so you can trust me. 1988, I'm not that young, not 98. The pop culture sensation from Sweden, listen to your heart before it's too late. And then you look at those lyrics. I don't know if it's on your playlist this morning or not. It wasn't on mine. It says, I don't know where you're going. I don't even know why, but listen to your heart. 
How ridiculous of a proposition, right? I don't even know what's going on, and I don't even know the reasoning behind it, but just listen to your heart. If it feels good, go for it. Could it be any more counter or opposed to the Word of God? The Word of God says the exact opposite. It says, don't listen to your heart. We just sing about it. King of my heart, I am in need of a resurrected eternal king of my heart because it is deceptive and wicked and evil. The major prophet Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? I mean, it's out of the heart we experience all these emotions, all these feelings, all these opinions. And, and, and it has the potential to be this, it's, I mean, it truly is this beautiful aspect of us being made in the image of God. But our hearts being positioned in this broken world, when we have no king of our hearts, when our hearts in this broken world are not informed by truth, they are terribly and tragically problematic, are they not? They're deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Pastor friend of mine, Adam Tarnow, says that feelings are real. So don't mishear me, right? Feelings that we have are real. Made in the image of God, we have these feelings that happen, these emotions that happen. Feelings are real, but they're not reliable. The real feelings we have come from our hearts demand to be informed by truth. We know from personal experience, feelings greatly alter reality and how we see things around us. Maybe some of you men can relate to that just from earlier this morning. You were up perhaps getting dressed and maybe you grabbed a shirt or a button up, maybe something nicer than the preacher today, and you put that on. And as you begin to put that shirt on, maybe um, out of the overflow of your sick heart, you got the feeling or you came to the place of an opinion that your shirt made you look fat. And maybe out of the overflow of your heart and that feeling or that opinion, maybe as a result of those emotions coming from that, maybe you began to examine um, some additional angles from the mirror thinking, man, I'm feeling this way. Oh my goodness, what, what's going on here? Maybe you even checked with your Holy Spirit, I mean your wife, and said, honey, there's some things I'm feeling. There's some opinions I'm beginning to have. Does this shirt make me look fat? Our hearts are desperately sick and evil. They emote these feelings and opinions that highly impact reality around us. And if they're uninformed, they are tragically inaccurate. You know why? Men who put your shirts on today and thought the shirt made you look fat, there is not a single shirt in all of existence that makes you look fat. It's your gut that makes you look fat, okay? And wives, that's the truth we need you to speak into our lives and inform our desperately sick hearts, okay? And that's exactly what was taking place here in Acts chapter 27. There was these experts. They knew the ocean. They knew the sea. They knew the truth and reliability of what should be happening and the indicators and the data they should be following. And they had this choice. They came to this fair haven harbor there in Crete. And they had a choice. Verse 9 says, much time passed. 
The voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. This is not saying they began to just eat as much as they want and they were drunk and merry on the ship so things were dangerous. This was meaning Passover was finished so the time of year was about mid-October. They were going into the winter months. And especially during that time, you did not go out on the bodies of water during the winter months. It was dangerous for any type of voyage. So it's time to find a harbor to enjoy winter in. So Paul provides some truth, some reality check. In a most respectful way, it seems like as well in verse 10. Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury, much loss. Not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. At this point, these sailors, these captains, they had the choice to base their journey off of truth and reliability, or reliable reality, or opinions and feelings. And we see they chose the latter. First, we see they chose opinions overwhelming the reality. It says, at this point, the satyrian paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said, though he knew it to be true. It was out of just an overwhelming of opinions. The, the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in. It's not saying it didn't have what they needed of a necessity. It's saying that this harbor was small. It didn't have as much attraction as they would prefer, but just 40 miles down the way, Although the weather was already looking bad, they felt they knew with the winter coming in, they never um, could um, guarantee what tomorrow would hold. Just 40 miles away was a larger, more attractive place named Phoenix. And they were of the opinion that it was worth the risk. Notice how the story goes on. An uninformed heart will bring you to a place of opinion and feelings of whatever that heart sets out and desires to have. Because notice what happens next. They're of the opinion already they want to go out to Phoenix. This place just doesn't have what we need, really what they want. And then verse 13, now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor, sailed along Crete close to the shore. They allowed their opinions to overwhelm the truth and reality around them to the point where the slightest of gentle breezes coming along said, oh, see there? That's a sign from the gods. I feel like we're, God's just behind us on this. I feel like this is the place we need to go. So they weigh anchor and they head down the coast and they're trying to take this risk of going 40 miles down um, the ocean to find this place in Phoenix. The heart is desperately sick, deceitful. Jeremiah 4.23 says, because of the position of our hearts, it ought to be the most guarded thing in our entire lives. But instead, these shipmen are just pulling up anchor, throwing out anchor wherever the wind blows, whatever they opine, whatever they feel, because they've completely done away with truth and reality. All too familiar with today, isn't it? Let me see here. Okay, right here. Okay, right. Namaste, right? Namaste. The light in me recognizes the light in you. This form of adoption where it's whatever opinion of truth or purpose you've adopted in your own life based on your own opinion. 
Now, Musay says, I recognize that. I affirm it. Whatever opinion in your life you've adopted, go for it. That's good. I'll stay out of your way. I'll support it. Now, Musay, the light in me recognizes the light in you. What do we know about feelings today? The world suggests that if you have feelings about something or toward someone or different things in life, don't suppress those feelings. They're, they're full and they're reliable and you should press into them more because in all actuality, if you have feelings towards something, the more you try to suppress them and ignore them, the stronger those feelings will become. That's not what the Word of God shows us. The Word of God says, trust God the word of God says that God has created us in this world and now the world is broken and our hearts are desperately sick. But if we inform our hearts with truth, those feelings we have, those struggles we have, truth that informs us will break us free from those things. So Paul steps in now. At first he said, sirs, I perceive it's not going to be a good journey. The story goes on. You can look at it um, after service day if you want, verses 14 to 20. I mean, just go straight up. They're, they're following their sentiments of their hearts. They're trying to do everything in their own strength. It's not making any sense. They're throwing things overboard one day after another because they see no possible way of saving themselves within their own strength. And then Paul finally chimes in again in verse 21. Following just where we left off, they've come to the place all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. But now Paul has a message from God. Paul wants to inform their hearts with truth. So he stands up among them in verse 21. Men, I told you so. You should have listened to me. You should not have sailed from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you, take heart. Here Paul, he's informing their hearts with the word of God and he's just outright saying, take heart. Here's some truth for your hearts that you've been so deceived by. There will be no loss of life among you, only of the ship. This very night there stood before me an angel, a messenger of the God to whom I belong, of the God to whom I worship. And the messenger of the Lord said this, the very words of God are these, verse 24, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. We must run aground on some island, Paul says, let me inform your heart with truth. The word of God is this. So it doesn't matter what you're feeling. It doesn't matter what you see around you. It doesn't matter what your persuasive opinion may be or how it makes you feel or how well or poor it may sit in your gut. God has spoken. And because he's creator, deliverer, and faithful, you can trust him. Go with me to Jeremiah 4.23 for a moment. Because I know we all experience it, don't we? 
If there's one thing in our entire lives in which we are to be vigilant toward guarding above all else, it's our hearts. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Don't be formed by the feelings, don't be oppressed by opinions, don't be trapped by different traditions for tradition's sake, but inform your heart with truth and see newness of life be birth. Something I came across this week from another pastor was this about our hearts. Your heart is like a bloodhound. It looks for what you tell it to. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says more than anything else you guard, guard your heart. What you feed your heart is what it looks for. We've been given everything we need from the word of God. So we're to inform our hearts with this that brings life. And as we inform our hearts with this that brings life, then our heart becomes conditioned and trained to seek after that more than other things. Your heart works like Netflix. Oh, now it's going to get real, church. Hang in there. Oh, you like the office? Have you seen office face? What about suits? I think you'd like this one too. One after another, as the affections of our hearts are stirred to one thing, it's entrapped by another, ensnared by another, and completely overwhelmed before we know it. There's no truth that it's informing our hearts because we're, not, we're no longer guarding it. And as a result, what's intended for life has brought about death. If you feed it porn, it will look for porn. If you feed it romantic comedies, it will look for drama mixed with Christmas in New York, Jennifer Aniston, and St. Bernard's. Don't follow your heart. Inform it with truth. That's exactly what Paul did in Acts 27. I mean, he's just like the disciples that um, Jack just talked about in the gospel accounts. Paul's in this storm because he is being completely obedient in his following of Jesus. But the confidence that he has in it is knowing that God has called him there and the word of God that he has to cling to, that it can be trusted, that this is of God, God is leading it so he can anchor his life in it completely. Paul understands that God truly created all things and as creator, he's designed all things and as creator and designer of all things, God has the best welfare of Paul in mind at all times. As we told the VBS kids this week, God is creator. Trust God. I'll get some tickets for y'all later. Good job responding, kids. He's also deliverer. The God who created all things can be trusted. The God who provides rescue for all things can be trusted. He came in the darkness of this storm and spoke to Paul and said, don't forget, but be reminded and invited him to come in and to trust him, knowing that as creator of all things, he is also providing rescue for all things. And we see the story carry out all the way to verse 44. It says, the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to the land. 
Paul realized God is creator and he trusted him. Paul realized God as deliverer and trusted him. God knew, or Paul knew God was always faithful, so he trusted him. So the reminder and the invitation is exactly what our children have seen this last week. Would you be open to trusting God? Whether you're a long-time believer or the most you've done toward God is simply acknowledge that you believe he exists, would you trust him today? Psalm 33 highlights God as creator and God as deliverer. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For God spoke and it came to be. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people, but the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Trust God. Not only did he speak from nothing and created all things, but that which he spoke into existence as creation will stand the test of time because it comes from him. The plans of God's heart goes throughout all the generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. But God does not look down from heaven from his high place with a frown to creation. But he looks down to all that he created. Because he did create all things. And he offers this invitation to trust him because he provides rescue for all that he created as well. The king's not saved by his great army. A warrior's not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. What's been the false hope in your life that you've been trusting in that one day will fail and leave you more miserable than you began? If you've come in here today searching, you've never placed personal faith on Jesus as Savior, and you leave this place without doing that, you will find yourself more deteriorated, more ruined, more empty than you have been before. God's created all things. He provides rescue for all things. He is faithful, therefore he can be trusted. Behold, the eye of the Lord's on those who fear him, on those who hope in his love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. What area of your life are you not trusting the Lord today in which you need to surrender to him? You say you might be a follower of Jesus, but when's the last time you surrendered to him in a way where you experienced a transformation of life, where you, by the power of the Spirit, took a further step of obedience in denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him? 
And for those of you with us this morning, don't miss this. You've been hanging in this long. We've got some exciting things going on, but don't miss this. The God who created all things has divinely orchestrated you in the period of history of your existence to be in this place to hear that as he has created all things, he loves you so deeply not to leave you without a way back to him. It's through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. He wants to invite you to trust him as, your heavenly, as his heavenly father.